in times of angst and uncertainty around what your constituency looks like, you should be reminded of the adage that good policy is good politics. So legislators need to get out of their own heads and actually just focus on doing the best job legislating as they can. Hey, welcome back to Cabot Talks. This is Brian Cabot I'm joined with my little brother, John. John, say hello. Well, hello, everybody. It's great to be back. And hello, Brian. Hello, John. And we actually have another John with us, former speaker of the California State Assembly, very good friend, a great human being, John Perez, who is with us today. And he's going to answer some questions and bring us up to date on what's going on with him. And and then at the end, John, you can ask me and me and my little brother, one question each. That'll be your promise. You can keep that in your pocket, but let's get started. What have you been doing during COVID and what's keeping you busy these days? You know, COVID has been a big, big crazy. I mean, for the first year, basically stuck at home like everybody else. Thankfully, these last couple of months getting out and about more. You know, I have a small strategic consulting practice where I get involved with a variety of issues, but the majority of my time is really my volunteer work. During all of COVID, I was chairing the University of California Board of Regents, figuring out how to guide the biggest research university system in the country through COVID and the largest research hospital system in the country. And that was a really interesting combination, looking at what it meant to run universities during a time of social distancing, but really looking at how to run six hospitals in the largest research university system and get ahead of the challenges that were being presented to us by by COVID. That's incredible. We know you've been keeping very busy, and we know how busy you were when you were Speaker of the Assembly and all your years in the legislature. Tell us, John, do you miss it? What do you miss the most about it? I missed it. I miss it tremendously. But it's funny that the stuff I miss the most is really trying to figure out the best answer possible to the big intractable questions. So when you looked at COVID and what the state response should have been, I missed being in some of those conversations, right? So we had conversations that the legislature and the governor were engaged with around, you know, what some of our healthcare standards should be, what we closed down, what we opened, what some of those tests should be. But I missed being in the conversations about what the broader response should have been. Look at the number of deaths that we have in California. Look at the variety of occupations where you had disproportionate numbers of deaths. What does that mean in terms of long-term economic recovery? What does it mean in terms of generational impacts to the families of 70,000 people who've lost somebody during COVID during this last year? Look at the excess death rate for working age population. So for example, there was a 22% increase in the first year. 22% increase in excess deaths amongst working age populations. It varied by occupation, and because of stratification, it varied significantly by race. So, for example, Latinos died at 36% increase as opposed to 22% for the population writ large. If they were in agriculture, they died at 59% increased death rates. So, you know, what do we learn from that? How do we address the responses, one, to prevent that from ever replicating itself in the future. But how do we create opportunities for those families to bounce back? Because not only did they have 
a dramatic loss of a loved one, but they had a loss of an income earner, which has long-term economic implications for that family and for that community. These are these are the things I miss being engaged in, not being in the legislature right now. What one thing would you have done different if you had been in the legislature? You know, depending on the day of the week, I'd probably give you a, a different answer, so it's not going to be fair. I think one of the things that I would have pushed for was a more aggressive program to help isolate people that tested positive and that lived in dense housing because of the impact of cross-contamination in a household. I got COVID in August of, of, of 2020. I left. I left home. I went, you know, in, in isolated, you know, hotel settings so that I wouldn't run the risk of contaminating my partner. But the average person, the average working person in the state of California didn't have that option. We had programs like Operation Home Key to get folks off the street into hotels. I think we should have had a program to help working folks who got infected and prevent them from cross-contaminating other members of their households. I think it would have changed the overall dynamics of transmission earlier in the disease. Don, pretend I'm a, a I, pretend I'm Governor Newsom, just a shorter version with less hair. And what would you tell me, what grade would you give me on my report card for how I dealt with COVID? And it what would depends. you tell me? It, it, so it depends at different points. I think at the beginning of the crisis, I'd give him off the charts great grades. It, because look, at any given point, you're dealing with the best science you know, the best facts you know, and right. make the best tough decisions you can. So I think at the beginning of the crisis, he was absolutely top of the charts throughout the country in terms of responding. I give him less good grades for the initial reopening. One, I think it happened a little too quickly, and I felt that way in real time. And there were fewer metrics that were understandable and defensible in how we reopened and then how we reclosed. Um, and so I think there were more stumbles in the midpoints than there were at the beginning. I think at the beginning, off the charts. And I think, you know, we're still trying to learn and we're still not through with this, right? We still have pockets of the state that are under vaccinated. We still have issues in terms of making sure that folks have access to boosters that, that want them. And this is a large, diverse state. One size fits all does not make sense. I think we really have to figure out if there is more and different interventions that we can engage in to get people who are vaccine resistant to get comfortable with vaccination because the implications not only to themselves, but everybody else. And quite frankly, the implications for our long-term economic recovery. I think we've had a false sense that the economy is doing well because stock market has done well, because revenues for the state has done, have done well. But that's not the best measure of what the true economic impact has been. And we all know businesses throughout the state that are struggling to reopen, struggling to find employees. This is a new world impacted by the realities of this, this pandemic. So there's a lot more learning to do, and we have to figure out what structural changes we need to make to align with that. John, you know, we obviously are in a still very much in a deeply divided political state and nation. But as you're looking ahead at next year, where where are those inroads? Where should it be a no brainer for the Democrats and the Republicans to work together to get some things done relative to covid to recovery or some other things? But certainly climbing out of this covid hole, where where should it be a no brainer that these 
that both sides could be working and should be working. So let me push back on the nature of the division. I think on big federal issues, there's clearly a divide. It expresses mm -hmm. itself across the country and it expresses itself here. At different levels of government, you have different kinds of divide. So at city councils and at uh, school districts, you have divides around things like mask mandates and vaccine mandates. But when you look at the lion's share of what the legislature is charged with doing, it doesn't have to and it isn't necessarily as divided as it is at the federal level and at the local level. And I don't know the current number. But you can go figure it out. When I was in office, any given year between 85 and 94 percent of bills passed on a bipartisan basis. You know, the degree of how bipartisan varied from year to year. And I think there's a little too much discussion just about the division and not enough about those places of common ground. So I would say, you know, it's safe to assume that 75, 80, 85 percent of everything coming through the state capital is done on a bipartisan basis. So we should celebrate that mm -hmm. while we then struggle with how we get out of our own heads and our own safe, you know, echo chambers. And they exist, you know, across the ideological spectrum on the issues that are overly simplified and where people are talking in sound bites instead of in real nuts and bolts that make a difference in people's lives. So for me, number one is economic recovery. Again, the market has done well, but the average person in California still has huge amounts of economic uncertainty. We need to fundamentally focus on that. Uh, our long-term health as a state depends on everybody having opportunities to have better economic you know, situations for themselves and their families. And, and it doesn't have to be the simple, you know, polarized issues to figure out what we do there. Longer term, yeah. again, education, right? We just had the best year for state investment in public education in the last 50 years. I would say it's still not enough, but there's a huge demographic difference in who's able to avail themselves of that. For too long, we've talked about educational opportunity in racial terms, which is important in a state as diverse as ours. But we haven't talked enough about it in terms of geographic distribution. When you look at inland California, and when you look at California north of Sacramento, people aren't availing themselves of higher education in the same numbers. And the question is, what are the structural barriers that make that more difficult? And what does that mean for our long-term economic forecast for different regions of the state? This is now two-year-old data. Uh, but two years ago, I looked at a place like Shasta County, and there was only one student graduating from Shasta County that was going on to University of California school. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. We're supposed to be serving, you know, the, the, the top 12.5% of the state. That should be in the top 12.5% of the state everywhere. That's Not incredible. Population areas. That's an incredible statistic, really. But you know what you're what you're talking about, John, though, is absolutely correct, I think, is that especially when you look at the economic issues, people simply can't afford houses in Los Angeles anymore, right? I mean, in a halfway decent neighborhood, a very small house is a million dollars if it's a nickel, right? It's it's very expensive. And this goes to my theory, which is I think most people in California are clustered around the center if there's an ideological center, or maybe put better, and I want to get your thoughts on this, 
most people get up in the morning and they want a roof over their head. They want their children to be taken care of. They want them to get a good education. They want to make sure they have food on the table. And some of these issues that we hear in the background are, you know, big social issues or big political issues, but they don't make a big difference to average ordinary people. People just want to be protected and taken care of. What are your thoughts? I, I totally agree with you. I don't know that they would say protected. I think the term they may take issue with, I think your conclusion is right. They want to have a fair shot at providing for themselves and their family, right? And to me, that's fundamentally what our job should be. How do we have a system by which people can work hard and move ahead? And I think, you know, you cut the population of the state any way you want it. We all agree on that. Yeah. We all agree we want our kids to do better than we did. And we're worried that they don't have that same opportunity to do better than we did. Right. That, that is fundamentally a scary concept for everybody. I was going to ask to talk a little bit about the port congestion. You're obvious down in Southern California. You say port congestion, John? Well, that too, Brian. I know that worries you port congestion and the supply chain disruption. Big issue right now. Curious to get your thoughts. I know Brian's very frustrated because he can't get his 12-year Macallan scotch in bulk anymore right now, or it's going to be very difficult and his big boxes of Twinkies. But, you know, for those out there who are really stressing about the real needs, and it is a serious issue. That's a real need, John. I'm sure those are the part of the four food, part of the five food groups, four food groups. Anyway, John, question to you: How serious is this going to be into 2022? You know, I obviously work with small business owners who are really worried about stuff getting on the shelves and staying on the shelves, obviously, but getting there. How long is this going to be? What is this issue? Look, I, I don't have a better crystal ball than you do on this, but everything I, I see tells us we're going to be dealing with this throughout 2022. And I think you're right. It has a bigger impact on small business than it does on large corporations that have, you know, different access to, to be able to move things around and figure out a way to, to survive this. And so, you know, part of the solution is extending the operations of the port, but meaningfully that's not going to be enough. And let's be very clear that there are, there are unintended consequences of changing hours of operation. You have different environmental impacts in terms of, you know, mobile source pollutants in the area. You have different impacts on environmental health mm -hmm. for communities that already have disproportionately negative impacts. So we've got to figure out how to make up as much time as possible in terms of clearing the backlog. And let me say a very un-California thing. If that means we have to divert certain goods that traditionally come through California into other ports, if there's enough of a ground infrastructure to move things from East Coast ports into other parts of the country, then we need to do that because the crisis is real right now. I, you know, for the long term, obviously, I want to protect California's market share in terms of the ports, but that is changing, right? You see more trajectory of things moving north into British Columbia and south into Mexico. And, and this bottleneck is only going to make that worse if we don't figure out how to make connectivity at the port work more efficiently. I'm going to change the subject slightly. As we're recording this, the word has just come down the last couple of days that Devin Nunes is leaving. What's going to happen to his seat? Does it flip? Way too early to know. I mean, look, it's been a safely Republican seat. The Independent Redistricting Commission keeps making unexpected swings in district lines. If you looked at the lines on Friday of this past week versus 
Today, you'll see major changes in a variety of areas. We'll see what happens. It's too early to know right now. How do you see that shaping up in the legislature? Just to kind of redistricting, just, the general redistricting. Just general stuff. redistricting, yeah. Look, it's always madness, right? This is the second time that you've had an independent redistricting commission. The last lines I saw had something like seven or eight districts where you had multiple legislators drawn into the same district, sometimes of the same party, sometimes of other parties. There's going to be angst because people are starting to, you will start to learn the new composition of their electorate. So I think this. In times of angst and uncertainty around what your constituency looks like, you should be reminded of the adage that good policy is good politics. So legislators need to get out of their own heads and actually just focus on doing the best job legislating as they can, because there's going to be a lot of uncertainty around what district lines look like. So the most important thing to do is your best job. You know, I would say just on the issue of crime, we'd like to ask you about that. Obviously, this is a big problem. Not sure that there's any one solution, but I think what, what we're finding and we're hearing from a lot of small business owners is that, you know, Prop 47 had a lot of problems with it. And we're seeing it come home to roost right now. The Prop 47, which really you know, changed that retail theft threshold in terms of what the shoplifting value is. But I think it's much more than that. I think right now we're finding this pendulum swinging back where I got to be honest, there was a lot of angst out there about law enforcement. Sure, there are some law enforcement personnel that need and certainly training that needs to be improved. But this pendulum's coming back, and I'm seeing so much crime in our communities. We're hearing it from mom and pops out there. I did say mom and pops, Brian. You did. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a drinking game. It's a drinking game for us. But, John, the but problem I have problem. with your— It's a problem. Before we throw this question, the problem I have is that, you know, you, people on the right always think it's like throw away the key, lock people up, throw away the key, and you're not dealing with the core issue. I just want to get my two cents in on that. You're not dealing with the core issue, educating people, getting them better jobs— then people don't go in and shoplift. It's not throw away the key, Brian. It is protect the community. And over too long, we have not allowed enough personnel out there to really protect our communities. But I, I'd like to hear from John. I'd like to know, like, what, what can we, what can be done here? Can the, this is a Democrat-Republican thing. Can they come together? What needs to be done to fix this? This is a problem. And it's going to hit small businesses more and more. Well, not just small businesses. It's hitting average, everyday Californians. Sure. People's fear about just going about their daily life is up right now, right? People are worried about their safety. They're worried about their loved ones' safety. I think what we have to be careful about is not trying to spike the ball. That you know, there's an ideological divide here. There's a core problem with. There is absolutely a spike in a variety of crimes going on throughout the state. We've seen some of this increasing over the last couple of years, San Francisco with respect to break-ins to cars and then smash and grabs. Now other parts of the state having smash and grabs. Here in Southern California, we just had a mad rash of smash and grab robberies. And then you had folks that were ultimately detained and then essentially cited and released, which is a different problem with respect to some of the COVID responses that we had to not try to have congregate folks in jail. I'm, I'm with your brother, Brian. I don't think the answer is throw people in jail and throw away the key. But I also think it's not a get out of jail free card and a revolving door when you get somebody who's committed a crime. What we've also seen is a new expression of organized crime. Right. Many of these smash and grabs are clearly 
central individuals do a hub and spoke robbery where they put people out on the streets to do small robberies, consolidate the stuff. If you get caught, you know, low consequences. But the central operation of the organized crime is raking in big money. We've got to be incredibly aggressive at going, going after those central hubs of that organized crime. And then, yes, we have to hold every person along the line accountable. But what Brian is right is accountable is one thing. Draconian is another. And how do we adjust the penalties that you hold people accountable, but you don't consign them to prison for life for stupid decisions, especially in youth? But it can't be free of accountability. This is a huge problem, figuring out ways to right-size this. Now, part of the problem, as you said, may be interpretations of part of Prop 47. That was a ballot measure. It was approved by the voters. That means the legislature can't just wholesale change it. So mm-hmm. I think the legislature is going to have to look at some of the unintended consequences of that initiative and potentially qualify an initiative that corrects some of those and that gives the legislature back some control to fix in real time that which, that which we learned. But anybody would be mistaken if they didn't think that this is a huge and growing problem in the state and causing real quality of life concerns, not only for people that have been victims, but for people that are worried about being victimized on a day-to-day basis. I just think it's, we're dealing with the problem as it happens, as opposed to the core issue. It's like trying to deal with the homeless problem by telling people they can't sleep on the streets. You've got to deal with the alcohol, the drugs, you've got to deal with the mental illness. And in this issue, John's 100% right. Crime tends to be a young person's game. They, they grow out of it, they mature, but they're going to get to that point a lot better if we put more infrastructure in and, and more stress on education, secondary education, preschool education, things like that. Statistics are very clear on that. So yeah, we can take care of people and when they do something bad, arrest them, don't put them back on the street right away. But we have to look at the core issue too, my opinion. That's why we're here. Hey, John, what do you see as the biggest issue the legislature faces next year? You know, Forgive me for channeling 1992. It's the economy, stupid, right? And and every expression of the challenges of the economy. So you talked about housing. That's a key part of it. But long-term realignment of how we prepare folks for the changing economy of California, how we align skills building to to get folks prepared for, for the changing marketplace, how we create support for small and medium-sized businesses that need state partnership instead of state red tape. These are really crucial questions. Obviously, the huge intractable question that they've been dealing with for a couple of years that they can't let up on is housing and housing policy. We've made a little bit of progress in the last couple of years, but not enough fundamental change to make sure we have housing that aligns with the needs of people throughout the state of California. And then let me say this to to make your brother John uncomfortable. Do we make it more difficult? Do we disincentivize ghost home ownership? People that are having two and three residences, taking stuff off the market and making it harder for folks to get their principal residence, right? You look where I live in downtown LA, how many of the condos coming on market are empty 80% of the time after they've purchased and they're just, you know, ghost units. You look at San Francisco, you've got that dynamic as well. 
you look at other parts of the state where you've got kind of shadow buyers buying up stuff as it's coming on the market, not unlike what happened during the Great Recession when folks were buying up uh, properties that were that were foreclosed upon, right? You've got a you, you've got some question on whether or not we need some uh, some constraints on some of those activities to make sure that average working families have a fair shot at being able to get access to housing that's on the market, as well as creating enough new construction to bring more housing online. Hey, I have a question. Did I, did I set your hair on fire, John? Yeah, it's I, I'm I got a fire extinguisher. I'm good. I'm good. That was actually a great answer. John, I want to ask you, we got to know each other really well when you were concentrating on trying to fix some of the government processes to help small businesses. I remember you championed that legislation to get uh, speed up the Secretary of State's process for small businesses to license. In fact, you remember you called Brian and said, I'm seeing more of your brother these days than I am you, Brian. But I will tell you this. Is that your impression of the speaker? That was horrible. <laughs> no, it was just me. As my hair is on fire, what do you want? I'm, but I'll tell you that there's still areas of government that need fixing. Where, where do you feel like just the bureaucracy still needs to be fixed? Is it EDD? Are there other things? Anything well, you still look, feel needs? Look, it's one of those things where every day you've got to be engaged and accountable. You need these government agencies to exist and to work. But you need to have creative and constructive tension to make sure that they're working optimally and they're working for the people, right? So I think EDD is one of the great examples of where we need a lot more oversight. We need to figure out all the things that went wrong with not only the obvious scandals around folks collecting 10, 15, you know, unemployment checks during the worst of the COVID crisis, but even more important and they should be done at the same time, folks who should have been able to get their unemployment checks, folks who should have been able to get access to things like PPP loans and state equivalents thereof to have their business survive, who didn't because systems were in place that made it more complicated than it needed to be, right? So accountability in, in those areas is huge. Let's take this one as a federal issue as opposed to it to a state issue. I have a very small business and I was lucky that I bank with a very small bank that has a boutique practice. And so when I needed a PPP loan, it got turned around rather quickly. You take my eldest sister, she has a micro business with just one employee and she was at one of the largest banks in the country. Mm -hmm. She just kept getting moved further and further down the list of folks who would get access to a PPP loan to keep her business open keep her employees working. That doesn't make sense. You shouldn't be dependent on where you fall with respect to a large or small bank to keep your business afloat. They are the biggest incubator for our economy and they are the most vulnerable and they took a disproportionately large hit. So whether it's federal accountability or state accountability, that's got to be a huge focus for all of us. We've got a new secretary of state who needs to figure out, and I think she's doing a great job, but needs to figure out every way that she can streamline the operations in the secretary of state's office. If you remember back during the Great Recession, one of the other issues we had was helping agribusiness and other California manufacturers being able to export more efficiently. Mm -hmm. So you ask the question about the port. The port isn't just about how do we get goods in. But how do we make that port operation work more efficiently 
so that we can get California manufactured and California grown goods out so that we take advantage of, True. of that trade relationship True. that we have. So I think all of these are essential. But let me add one more, and that's water. Oh, yeah. Water is always going to be a key issue. We did a good job several years ago of passing a massive water bond. It hasn't been fully implemented. We still have the impacts of, of climate on our water supply, but it has a huge impact on the economy of the state of California, especially when you look at uh, the Central Valley and the implications for ag if we don't get a better hold of water resources and have the tough conversations, not only about water rights, but about how we do water storage, how we do water metering, how we do better, more efficient use water in a way that's scientifically driven. We have programs like Coral Moyer, which fund the ability to transition greenhouse gas producing machinery into cleaner machinery. We need to do the same with respect to water technology. Give grants to businesses to be able to create more water efficiency so that we can steward the limited supply that we have in a way that doesn't cripple businesses and in a way that uh, helps us continue to grow employment. And this is why John Perez is one of the smartest people I ever met in my life. And now we're going to push the limits of your intellect, John, and we're going to ask you quick, rapid fire questions. I'm going to go first. John's going to go. We're going to do a couple of these back and forth. Oh, I'm older, John. (laughs) Tell him mom. John, if you had to select your favorite meal in the whole world, what would it be? Osohuko. Favorite movie? Godfather 1. If you were a cartoon character, who would you be? Scooby-Doo. Your first concert? Carlos Santana. Ooh. Where would you like to visit the world that you've never visited? Actually, some place I can't visit right now, which is Southern Africa to go on safari. What are you reading right now? Not enough. <laughs> Look, so I'll, I'll show you the, the books that are on the desk, right? So because like everybody else, I'm struggling with economic uncertainty of the future, common sense investing, building a bridge, which is a discussion on uh, Catholicism and integration of LGBT folks in the faith. Joan Didion's slouching towards Bethlehem and, and, and working clothes. Uh, those are the, those are the books that are you know, right on. And which of those have you started? I've started all of them. <laughs> what do you like on your pizzas usually? Not pineapple. It's the it's the running. Oh, I'm so with you. I am oh, so with you. Come on. Oh no. Pineapple come on. on pineapple doesn't belong on pizza, and ketchup doesn't belong on a hot dog past the age of eight. Got ketchup it. ketchup has no place in modern society. Pineapple does. It's just not on a pizza. I'm with okay. you. We we can agree on that. Hey, John, you've been a terrific guest. You are one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life and had the pleasure to know and call my friend. Thank you so much for being with us today. Likewise. Great to be with both of you. Great to have you with us, John. You've been a great friend to both of us. We appreciate it. Hope to see more of you, and we wish you a wonderful holiday. I'm going to go get myself a pineapple-laden pizza Don't do it. I'm doing it. Don't do it. I'm doing it. Look, if I have to choose, I'm more supportive of the idea of McKellen 12 than I am of pineapple on a pizza, so I'm sorry, John, you lost me. Dinner at Brian's. Thanks for listening to Cabot Talks. If you liked what you heard, give us a positive review, a thumbs up, a high five, whatever. Leave a comment, share, and subscribe. We're two brothers, two opinions, one California. Cabot Talks. <laughs>